John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 10. Brethren, let us hear God's infallible word. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? (coughs) Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Amen. Well, in our last study, we considered Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus regarding the new birth. Now, during their dialogue, the Lord Jesus reproved Nicodemus with this question. Found in verse 10, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? As we pointed out last week, and as I uh, say again to refresh our memories, there could be no sting in this statement unless this idea of new birth this idea of being born of water and spirit was something taught in the Old Testament. Now, we must recognize that being born again is a doctrine found throughout all of Scripture. When I say that, I don't mean that in every portion of Scripture it is is equally plain. And I certainly don't mean that as we see Scriptures unfold that there are not Uh, greater shafts of light added from generation to generation as God unfolds His Word in the Holy Scriptures. So I'm certainly not saying that the new birth, as Jesus teaches it with this startling clarity that He gives to Nicodemus, was something uh, immediately understood in the pages of the, the book of Genesis or in Exodus or Leviticus. This is not my point in, in drawing our attention to this. Nevertheless, the idea of being cleansed and changed internally is something found very early in Scripture, and it is that which the Lord Jesus Christ is ultimately pointing to in these words. Nicodemus should have known this. In the plainest sense, it is a doctrine of the faith, a fundamental of the faith 
There's no entering into God's kingdom except men be radically transformed. Now the Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees at one point, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Now this was Nicodemus' plight. He did not know the Scriptures. Had you asked him, of course he would have told you that he did. He memorized Scripture, he studied Scripture, he discussed Scripture, and he taught Scripture. But he did not properly understand Scripture. And brethren, I fear that uh, we don't have half of what he had committed to memory in our own minds and hearts. <clears throat> we had best not boast, uh, lest we as wild olive branches be broken off again as the the natural branches of the tree were for their unbelief. Brethren, we must know the Word of God. We must give ourselves to the study and obedience to the Word of God. We must go to God's Scriptures and plead for light and instruction so that we do not err, knowing not the Scriptures. And I tremble when I say those things to you as I wrestle with my own lack of understanding of God's holy word. Now, <clears throat> we return to this passage this evening, actually picking up where we left off. Our title this evening is, Knowest Not These Things. Knowest Not These Things. We want to look at the new birth in the Old Testament. If we have time, we will go to the new birth in the New Testament. Some of you last week said to me, oh, you, you talked about Nicodemus not knowing, but you didn't get to the part where he should have known. And uh, simply ran out of time. So we're picking up right there again this evening. Now what is it that Nicodemus should have known? What are these things? That's what we want to know. Verse 10. <clears throat> Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Now, the Lord Jesus Christ had this uh, extraordinary conversation with Nicodemus, and in these few short verses, he has summed up a great amount of Old Testament teaching. That is why he rebukes Nicodemus. The Lord Jesus, of course, could not be considered... Uh, fair or righteous if he were simply pointing to uh, baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, which is what some people read here. How in the world could Nicodemus possibly have known that if this baptism of water and the Spirit were speaking of baptism that Christ did not give in the name of the, the Trinity until Matthew 28? There are a number of things that our theological prejudices can cause us to read into passages. But right now, reading into... <clears throat> This passage, the baptism that the Lord's disciples are going to be administrating later, misses the point of the passage. Jesus is saying in very explicit terminology that no one 
you included Nicodemus, a great theologian, a great student of Scripture, no one will enter the kingdom of God without an inner transformation. This is the point of Christ's discussion. Now, the greatest minds and the greatest commentators of, uh, of church history have wrestled over uh, some of the verses in this chapter. And brethren, you literally could read for days the opinions of what each of these particular verses mean. And there are some great and learned uh, works regarding this. But rather than sit and try to take apart every uh, verse and phrase in light of what we are studying, by grace ye are saved, we want to get the core of what Christ is talking about and why he's rebuking Nicodemus. Unless someone undergoes a radical transformation, he cannot enter God's kingdom. And that's what Nicodemus did not understand. And Christ is saying, such a thing is found in the Scriptures. You should know this as one who has memorized great portions of the Scriptures. So, what was the Lord referring to? What was He rebuking Nicodemus regarding well, we must go to verse 5. <clears throat> Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, <clears throat> born of water and Spirit, what does that mean? Is there a single verse anywhere in the, in the Old Testament that talks about being born of water and Spirit? And the answer is no. So the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't saying to him, you missed the verse over here in uh, the book of Hezekiah. You missed something here in the Scripture. Because all of you realize the book of Hezekiah is not a book in the Bible. All right. But the Lord Jesus Christ is not saying that you missed this specific verse. What he's saying is that you have missed the heart and soul of what so much of the Scriptures are teaching. Men must have a transformation. Something that is called by Christ being born of water and of spirit. Now, what in the Old Testament would refer to water and spirit? Well, both of those elements are spoken of over and over again in the Old Testament. The idea of water in the Old Testament was constantly referring to cleansing, purity. And Spirit, of course, is the nature of God. The Lord Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth, in order for men to worship the Most High God, they must be changed in spirit by the Spirit. There are those that would say, verse 5, shouldn't have a capital S on the Spirit. Uh, what they would say is that Jesus is saying you must be born of water 
of cleansing and of spirit, meaning your own spirit must be transformed, which is true. It's exactly the case. That's what happens in the new birth. Others would say, well, no, it's not pointing to what must be changed, but who does the changing? The spirit. That's clearly how our translators understood it, is that it was the spirit who does the work. Either way, the point doesn't change. Whether it is your spirit that Christ is referring to that must be changed, or the spirit that must change you in your spirit that's being pointed to, the result is exactly the same. You must be changed. You must be born again. Nicodemus, you should understand that men must be radically transformed. They must be purified and they must be changed in heart. They must be changed in the core of what they are. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. Verse 3. The prophet gives this great hope to Israel. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. I, God, will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon my seed. You see the connection? Water and spirit. The Lord doesn't mean He's literally going to pour H2O upon them. He's saying, I'm going to do a cleansing work, a vivifying work, a life-giving work. And that was signified by water. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water courses. God promises to do a great work. He speaks of it in terms of water. And He makes clear that that is His Spirit. Isaiah chapter 32, verse, 17, uh, verse 15 says, Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. Once again, Wilderness becomes a fruitful field. And the fruitful field is like a forest. Again, a life-giving work. A place where there's nothing. And then there's life, abundant life. Where does it come from? The Spirit. I will pour out my Spirit. Ezekiel 39, verse 29. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my Spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. Once again, what's the picture of the Spirit and the way it is given? Pouring, as we would pour water. I will pour out my Spirit. I will pour out water from on high. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out 
my spirit upon all flesh. Now, when did that happen? The day of Pentecost. Now, we're going to look at a few more verses, but I want you to see a picture beginning to form. God made promise of a coming time when His great power would be displayed and it would be poured out in such a way that that which was a wilderness would come to life. There would be a transformation by the power of His Spirit so that that which was wilderness could be like an overabundant forest. This was promised to God's people. And it was something for which they hoped. This is why Nicodemus should have begun to make some connections about water and spirit. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Once again, upon the house of David, God promises he will send, he will pour out his spirit. Now, sometimes, this reference to being changed inside uses other terminology or or this this concept of God pouring out and cleansing takes on the the aspect of internal work Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 19 Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 19 and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you. God says, I will put a new spirit within you and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them an heart of flesh. Inner transformation. And it's in connection once again with the idea of the spirit. I'm going to give them one heart and I'm going to put a new spirit within them. Water, spirit. Water, Spirit. Over and over in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, and this is a significant and extremely significant passage, especially in light of what we're considering. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. The Lord promises, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. Now you see, God had commanded in the the laws of Leviticus and in Numbers various cleansings, especially the water of purification, where the priest would take hyssop and dip it in the water that had been prepared with the ashes of the red heifer. And that was a symbol of purification, of cleansing. And it was transformative. This is why David said, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Sprinkle me with water of cleansing. Water, purification, cleansing, inner transformation. 
Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. This is a promise, brethren, of the new covenant. A new heart also will I give you. A new heart and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. <clears throat> now this should go hand in hand with Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, we're going to read chapter 24 first. Turn to Jeremiah 24, verse 7. Where once again we hear this language of inner transformation. Jeremiah 24, verse 7. And I will give them an heart to know me. I will give them an heart to know me. What was the problem? Their hearts were deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. They were covenant breakers, unfaithful to God. And they had no heart to walk in God's ways. God says, in my mercy, I will give them what they must have. They cannot do it. I give it. I will give them an heart to know me, inner transformation, that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God, covenant language, for they shall return unto me with the whole heart. He will give them a heart that will return to him and they will be his people. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Again, God promises, Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. What covenant was that? That was the covenant made at Mount Sinai in the giving of the Decalogue, the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, what was the problem? They didn't have a heart to keep God's covenant. So God promises a new covenant, and there will be something different about this one. It says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law, where? In the inward parts. Inward work of God. Internal transformation of God. I'm going to write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the covenant language. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now this is so rich. We can only spend a few moments here, but this is wonderful stuff. 
And we want to get a hold of what's being said. A promised time when God is going to make a new covenant. What will be the feature of that covenant? Well, there will be no, uh, numerous features, but several of them immediately important to our study this evening are, first of all, inward transformation. This was Israel's hope. They had been an unfaithful people. Read the Old Testament. Read about their stiff-necked rebellions over and over. And God said, a time of cleansing is coming. I'm going to pour out water upon them. I'm going to sprinkle water upon them. I'm going to do a cleansing work. Not only am I going to do a cleansing work, it will be a work of the pouring out of my Spirit. There will be internal transformation of my people. There will be an age coming, a time when that great new covenant will be on the earth. This is what Jesus is announcing to Nicodemus that he did not understand and should have. You're a great teacher come from God. Am I Nicodemus? Well, then let's talk the Scriptures. Let's talk the promise of God. No one will see the kingdom, that great and glorious. And here when the Lord says that, He's ultimately talking about the final, glorious, consummated stage of the kingdom. But it is applicable to the kingdom in its present form. It is still a spiritual kingdom. And he says, no one enters that kingdom. No one comes under the grand and glorious rule of God that way unless they've been born of the Spirit. Unless they've had that cleansing work, water. That inner transformation of their spirit or by the Spirit, either way. Nicodemus had probably come to discuss great issues with Christ. It's even possible that he was among those that saw his miracles and had this empty hollow believing in him. He clearly came at night to speak to the Lord Jesus and calls him rabbi. And the Lord Jesus unfolds the promise of the old uh, of the, the promises found in the Old Testament in just a few short sentences. Here's what this is all about, Nicodemus. Inner transformation and cleansing by God's work. Or no one, no man, will see God's kingdom. Nicodemus didn't understand it. And he didn't believe it. Brethren, do we believe it? Do you believe that you will not see God's kingdom except you be transformed by God's Spirit? This is the Word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is saying, Nicodemus, the great hope lying in the bosom of the Old Covenant Scriptures, this glorious time to which God's people look, is inaugurated in my presence. And for people to enter into that kingdom that I'm bringing, they must be born 
again. You don't understand that? What are you teaching God's people? What he was teaching them was self-righteousness. Not the cleansing, transforming power of a God who does what we cannot do for ourselves. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Regeneration is also spoken of in another way. The new birth is spoken of with these terms. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. You see, there was a great issue. There was a great issue. We must all understand, brethren, that the faith found in the Scriptures is a faith of the heart. Externals mean nothing to God unless they issue forth from a heart that loves Him. A life that is outwardly conformed to all of the things that are commanded in Scripture, if that does not issue forth from a new heart, God detests it. This is a religion of the heart. Jesus summed up the whole Old Testament Scripture. This is what they mean. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, and thy strength. And that was the one thing they could not do in themselves. And this is why the promise comes, the Lord will circumcise thy heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and soul that thou mayest live. You see, in Deuteronomy 10.16, God had commanded Circumcise yourselves, excuse me, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. The foreskin on the heart goes hand in hand with the stiff neck. In other words, when we read that, that is a, a Hebraism, this foreskin of the heart means the cover that blocks the heart from receiving law. There's something covering over the heart that keeps the heart from receiving and loving God and His law. And God says, just as in that physical act of circumcision wherein my people are marked and there is a removal of something that's blocking, a covering, there's something that covers your heart. And that must be removed. And he commands them, you do that. Because that's their responsibility. The thing is, they can't do that. In his mercy and his grace, he does it for them. Jeremiah 4.4 Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. And take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it. Be 
because of the evil of your doings. Well, once again, without getting lost in the details and all of those things, what is absolutely certain and what is clear is that even those rescued by God, so to speak, as the people were out of Egypt, except God do an inner transformation to them, they will not keep His covenant. They did not under the old covenant. And one of the glories and the promises for Israel and for us as grafted into them is the promise of that glorious change where God would cleanse and pour out His Spirit. And He did that. Nicodemus should have understood that men needed inner transformation. That they should be cleansed. That their hearts should be changed. This is why Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Unless the Father births him with cleansing power, transformative power, he'll never see the kingdom. Circumcision of the heart is required by God. Circumcision of the heart can only be accomplished by God. Circumcision of the heart is the prerequisite for loving God with the whole being. What was the promise of the glorious coming new covenant? That the law would now be written on the heart. And with new spirits and new hearts, we will walk in His ways. And as I've pointed out several times in our study in 1 John, that's the very thing John's standing on when he commands us to obey God. He's not being legalistic. He understands the new covenant. He understands that God is going to do that radical transformation and give men new hearts. He's going to cleanse them. And because of who they are, by that glorious transforming work, they can, they will, they must obey God. And those that do not simply give evidence that they're not born of water and of the Spirit. That is why Paul, once he was enlightened himself, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he was a Pharisee, he'd been taught the Scriptures. After God had performed a wonderful work upon him, he could write in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, He is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. Paul understood what Christ was teaching Nicodemus. Nicodemus didn't get it in John 3. It appears, I'm hopeful, by the progress of Nicodemus, though we only see him briefly in the rest of John's Gospel, that the Lord finally opened his heart. But that's another study. Paul understood it. What's he talking about? An inner transformation of the heart. That that circumcision that was in the body was simply a symbol of what ultimately God would be doing in the new covenant in men's inner being. Transforming them 
so that he would have a race, a new age, a people who would walk in his law, who would walk in his commandments, rejoice in them, find them their liberty. take up the new birth in the New Testament next week. I will close with this one further passage from Paul. And now perhaps some of this terminology will be a little more familiar to us. He writes to Titus in chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done. That was Nicodemus's mindset. That was Paul's mindset before the Lord changed him. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy. He's the one that does it. He saved us. And how did He do that? By the washing of regeneration. A cleansing work. An inner transformation. A great and glorious work by God. According to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We believe who Christ is. We believe that He is God's Messiah when by His glorious Spirit He abundantly pours out upon us a cleansing, transformative work. Nicodemus should have been teaching this to God's people. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, 
whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.